Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. I had the pleasure of going to Norway in 2019, and for some reason, it has a strange draw for me now. I'm not sure why, because it's cold there, and I suffer with Raynaud's phenomenon, which gives me cold fingers at the slightest drop in temperature. I still remember my breath being taken away from me on leaving the plane on arrival because of the strong gust of freezing cold air as I disembarked. But the isolation and its accessibility were probably part of the attraction. I went to Haugesund, which meant flying from the UK over Haugesund, and then the same distance again to Oslo. I waited six hours for a transfer back to Haugesund. What a faff, but it gave me the opportunity to stare for hours out of the windows at glaciers, the icy and undulating Hardanger Plateau, impossible bridges connecting all the islands' inlets and outlets, and of course the huge fields. The beauty of a field first came to my attention when reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. A character called Slarty Bartfast was assigned the role of designing the Earth and one of his loves was creating coastline. He was the person responsible for designing fjords, saying that they have a really good baroque feel to the coastline. It was for his fjords that he won an award. But seeing fjords for real gave me an understanding of why Douglas Adams had created this character. I tried to enter a long-distance triathlon to give me the experience of swimming in a fjord, but have not managed to get a place yet. The problem is... Of 350 places available, thousands apply and do so every year because by doing this, you increase the number of chances for a place to the tune of one per entry. So the chances of getting a place are small. The reward you get if you win a place, apart from the fee, is a complex race where you have to arrange your own support, which includes a driver and someone who can run up the mountain with you. I'll come to that later. The race starts by racking your bike between 3 and 3.45 in the morning, catching the iconic ferry out into Hardanger Field, so that you can jump off the ferry at five o'clock in the morning to swim the two and a half miles back to Wydefield. Ice from the mountains drains into the water. There are showers on the ferry that you can stand under, but not to keep warm, more to acclimatise to the cold. People are visibly shivering as they try and leave the water, and at the end of the swim, and into the first transition area, sometimes falling over from numb feet and legs. The bike section is 112 miles over five mountain passes, and the first 25 miles is just up a dirty great hill to Dirinut. This all sounds awful, but people who do it are often reminded of the wonder and beauty of swimming in the field and then cycling up into glacial areas of the country, long waterfalls cascading down the side of mountains. By the time you get to make the drop down into Astbygda, controlling the bike is tricky because of cold hands. Then athletes are lulled into a false sense of security by running the 18 miles around a huge lake to Ryukin, and the last 17.2 kilometres are essentially a mountain climb of a very steep, 1,850 metre high Mount Gaustertoppen. For reference, this mountain is 500 metres higher than Ben Nevis, and similar in height to Mount Washington. When in the National Park, the last section has a gate to go through to climb the last section of the mountain. You are assessed for suitability to climb. Only the first 160 athletes can go through, or those in under 15 hours, if still short of the 160 athletes. The mountain is closed in bad weather, so for two of the years that this race has run, there was no mountaintop finish. But only those who get to the top will get 
the prize, a black t-shirt. If you can't go up, there is another route and you only get a white t-shirt if you finish in the lower route. The run is 26.2 miles, of course. It's one of the toughest that one will ever run. Part of the difficulty is planning for the black t-shirt. You need someone who will run up the mountain with you if you manage to be in the first 160. But the tunnel lift back down is only for athletes. So your companion has to run, walk or crawl back down the mountain without you. So you really do need some special support. I put a link to the 10th anniversary episode describing the race, which will give you a visual of what one can expect. Even this completely understates the groundwork needed to complete the race. Suffering seems to be within the DNA of Norwegians. When I managed to get to Holgersund, I got talking to the hotel manager, who was in his 70s, but had spent his younger days in the military, needed long periods in the Arctic at temperatures of minus 50 degrees. But he said it was a different type of cold, so he just didn't feel it really. It was in such conditions hundreds of years ago that some bright Norwegian spark came up with the idea of ruffisk. There is a Swedish version called surströmming. These delicacies came from, well, one story goes, a fisherman who returned from a dreadful journey and just had rotting fish in the hold, which was stored. Famine led the isolated family to have to eat it. Herring that has been allowed to ferment has now become an expensive tinned item, and you can see many a funny YouTube, a video of people opening a tin, and then everyone in the near vicinity riching just at the smell, an acquired taste for sure. This Christmas I had the delight of seeing Gone Fishing by Mortimer and Whitehouse. I'm not interested in fishing myself, but watching these two horse about at the side of a lake, seashore, or in this case a fjord, is a true delight. Bob introduced Paul to the Norwegian breakfast, which consisted of pickles and fish. I smiled when seeing this because, in spite of myself, I ate pickled fish for breakfast when in Norway. Usually a little tired because of the broken sleep associated with it not getting dark there. The night before I'd been in a bar at midnight and it was still light. After breakfast I would walk out into the town to have my senses filled with the smell of cinnamon buns and coffee and Norwegian art, whether it be the strange sculptures or the paintings in the timber frame shops. Again chatting to the Hotel Neptune's manager, he told me about the wonderful system developed by the Norwegian Trekking Association. You can put down a 100 Norwegian kroner deposit and for this you get what is called a DNT key. This enables you to gain access to the hundreds of cabins scattered around the isolated parts of the country, enabling you to explore it and find shelter. The cabins are stocked with food and toiletries, and the whole thing works on an honesty system, just paying for what you use. The whole country has survived through adversity, and one would think that the towns would be concentrated in the south, but they are spread along the coastline all the way up to the north, well above the Arctic Circle, surviving on a combination of farming and fishing, and the economy has been based on encouraging people to use the whole country rather than just a bit of it. Tourism is a sizable part of it, and the northern population are keen to invite people to places like the world's most northern ice hotel, Sorisvina. But there are four other ice hotel locations to choose from, and many visitors go in the hope to see one big thing, the Aurora Borealis, or the Northern Lights, which are an occasional effect of solar radiation hitting the atmosphere and mixing with oxygen and the nitrogen, which creates the green and purple colours in a symphony of light. I've never seen them, but would prefer to just happen upon them rather than make a special trip to the country only to turn my eyes away from all its beauty to obsess about something that there is such a low chance of seeing. There is already so much low-hung fruit there, including the cloudberry and the developing Norwegian food industry. The sights go without saying, although I like the analogy that it is Scotland on steroids, all of which one can guarantee without disappointment, unless, of course, you can't stand the cold. <laughs>